Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, podcast where a relationship therapist talks to a a toxic comedian, <laughs> and we discuss all things uh, from a from a female and a male perspective in the modern age. My name is Neil. You can probably guess which one of the two I am. So toxic. I'm joined by Eliza. How are you doing, Eliza? Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. How is your health at the moment? Um, okay. On the mend, on at least? The, on the mend, hopefully. That's good. So we'll, we will see what happens, I guess, but still pushing through. Oh, good on you. Yeah. I'm sure you'll get through. Yeah. As you say, you know, it's the universe giving you hurdles that will only make you stronger. Yes, exactly. Something good will come out of it. That's it. And I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, Eliza recently bought a house. Yay, you Congratulations. did. <laughs> I did. Oh, there we go. Well, and ironically, the owner is a chronic pain um, therapist. So I was like, well, this is a weird There you go. Thing. So she's got like a, hydro spa, a hydrotherapy hot spa, um, which we get to keep. So That sounds nice. That'll be good on my back. What's the difference between a normal hot spa and a hydrotherapy hot spa? I don't know. Is it just know. a fancy name for a spa? I honestly have no idea, but it's huge. It's massive. So okay. it looks like it would be like an, an eight-person spa from my memory though. Maybe, I don't know, but we'll God. see, I guess. What's she doing in the spa? Yes, well, exactly. I hope you get better soon. Thank you. And How's your back? My eyes... Uh, I've still got that bulging disc thing, but it's pretty manageable. Look at us. We're so old. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> bulging disc. Ugh. It's the <laughs> oldest thing. Everyone I know has a bulging disc, although I think that people are self-diagnosing that a lot these days. Not you, but... No, I went to... I got my uh, my scan. Oh, good. I was really embarrassed because I was doing this, uh, <laughs> doing this lifting competition with my friends, so we were training. And this was just after the lockdown ended, so I went really, I went too hard, really quickly with the with the deadlifts, which apparently a lot of people did as the gyms reopened, and I just felt this sort of snap in my back, and I thought, oh no, have I snapped a muscle or something? Um, and I thought, well, I'll wait a few hours, see what happens, and this was not going away. I could hardly bend. Oh my god! One way or the other. And then I got a scan, and they said, "Yeah, you've got a you've got a bulging disc. That's when the the spine is hitting one of the nerves." This is triggering me so much. This conversation, <laughs> bringing back PTSD, sore backs. But yeah. you, how long did yours take to heal? I mean, it hasn't fully. Oh, it's just shit. never. It's just something I've got to live with now. But I can do everything normally now. I'm even back to lifting at pretty much my uh, my highest weight. Although Yay. I'm not doing any. Um, you know, one or two rep maxes. I'm just doing uh, uh, eight to ten reps on everything. Good. So no big strength uh, conditioning right now. Not that I need it. Yeah. <laughs> Being a comedian. So strong already. You don't need it. I'm such a tank. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neilkaiga.com slash podcast, by the way, if you want to ask us a question, we will answer. Uh, there are also one, two, three dollar subscription options available. And all the revenue from subscriptions goes straight to charity. Yay. <laughs> Look. <laughs> you can just see her oh eyes gosh, at the so top of the camera. If you're listening to the audio, you miss out on the um, <laughs> antics that my cat gets up to. She's visiting us a lot more these days, isn't she? She, like, she knows she's part of it. Look at her. Yeah. She's, she's living become... for it. <laughs> she's so funny. <laughs> That's very cute. That is adorable. She she always uh, walks to the camera first, then turns around and just shows her butthole straight to the camera. <laughs> it's such an alpha move. 
She's doing a little catwalk. Mm, quite literally, yeah. <laughs> Plus that. So today we are going to talk about uh, interdependency versus codependency. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because uh, from the spaces I uh, have been you know, looking at online in relation to relationship uh, therapy and also just uh, relationship advice, psychological advice, general self-help and well-being, there seems to be a massive emphasis on autonomy, mm. especially in relationships. So, so um, oh, sorry, we've got to get any cords for this. We'll get that in the next podcast. Um, so a huge emphasis on autonomy and ensuring that no one ever feels controlled, no one ever feels like their needs are being left unmet or that they have to do something that is oppressive towards the other person uh there's a, there's a constant rhetoric about boundaries and mm. um an unhealthy expectation of putting someone on a pedestal and not meeting that pedestal and all this sort of language and i just wonder if it's gone too far one way where we're so worried about feeling trapped and feeling controlled and we rely so much on being autonomous and maintaining that independence that we're actually losing out on some of the beneficial qualities that come from being in an intimate romantic partnership. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and uh, one of the women, w- women were talking about how she, she just really uh, needs to make sure that she has a career sorted, has even an apartment or something bought, uh, has everything uh, in place to ensure that she is never trapped in a bad oh, marriage. Wow. And look, that's a very noble thing mm-hmm. to be cautious about. And uh, the the man who was on the podcast was sort of um, replying to her, talking about how you know you're you're living through the lens of fear. You're you're mm-hmm. you're doing all these to ensure that something ha- something doesn't happen. Which statistically, yes, it it can happen, but the likelihood is that it it, it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, I was thinking, well, maybe I have a similar sort of fear mentality where I'm, you know, it's not that I'm too worried about modern marriages and things, but I just think that we are in a bit of a state of flux where marriage, the definition of it is is definitely changing and what it actually means for people, whether it's based purely on romantic love or or there is some level of financial dependency and mutual roles, but different roles and it's all very confusing, but anyway, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts about uh, interdependency, codependency, and what is a healthy amount of dependency on a romantic partner to fulfill one's emotional uh, and physical needs. Yeah, it's one of those things that have become kind of a hot word, again, where people keep, um, I guess, saying that other people's relationships are codependent or or they're codependent or they're too independent or interdependent, all these things kind of flying around where basically that I think that in all relationships, it's normal to have a kind of ebb and flow of codependency or being independent at points. Um, and basically there's a million different definitions for it as well. So like the definitions of codependency is um, essentially that you as a person cannot feel fulfilled unless um, your partner or someone in your family is happy. So you base your moods based on what's going on for them. Um, So you're more likely to kind of be a pushover or not ever speak your truth and put boundaries in place. And you'll be like, Oh, I I I know that's going to upset me, but you just kind of, 
let it go um, and roll over or you'll be like, oh, he's angry. It must be my fault. I didn't do this or I should have cooked a better dinner, those kind of things. Um, But at the same time, you can also be the other side where you're like, this person needs to do this for me and this person needs to feel my needs and I'm upset. Why aren't they fixing me? Like, why aren't they doing this to make me feel better? So it is kind of very common in relationships to be codependent but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing all the time Um, I agree and people are kind of demonizing it all of a sudden because everyone's just learned what it's meant for the first time so they're like don't be codependent because you you said your boyfriend was a really nice guy and they're like oh you guys are way too enmeshed like just something aside someone said that to you oh well I mean I think that I would understand if people thought that my boyfriend and I were enmeshed because Adrian's so introverted. So he he's at home a lot um, and people will be like, why isn't he out doing this with like going out for beers with the boys? Whereas like even if we weren't together, he just chills at home a lot on his own. So and also because we have so many of the same interests already. Um, like we both love horror. We're both vegan. We both wanted to live out of Sydney, like all these things um, that people think one of us must have changed our personality um, to kind of meet the other person. But really those are the things that made us um, attracted to each other in the first place before we'd even met. So I think that people can often jump to those kind of conclusions. And and it comes from a very uh, noble pursuit in that people want to ensure that their friends uh, – don't fall into an abusive relationship. Yeah. And historically, that has generally been women who have become dependent financially on men mm. and therefore felt like they can't step out of a relationship, especially yeah. if kids were involved. And it happens to men as well. Mm. Uh, but I agree with you in, in saying that. I, I I get the feeling that we've just, we're so careful about codependency and mm. being enmeshed that we're actually losing the beauty of what a relationship should be. Exactly. love (laughs) exactly you can't avoid it like people think it's the worst thing you do but there's always going to be points where you're codependent like say like with my injury for the first couple of weeks I couldn't do anything I couldn't stand up I couldn't cook anything I mean I couldn't sit um I was basically like lying on the ground for 16 hours on the carpet like feeling so miserable and Adrian had to fuss around me and do everything for me and in in that sense I was codependent on him because I relied on him for everything and at the same time there were times where like one night he had to take me to the hospital and he was getting like really I guess upset thinking like oh this is so shit like you've just had your shoulder dislocation and now um, six weeks pass and you, you get assaulted and, and you have a fractured rib and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was feeling upset about it, like, I guess, from a place of empathy. And so then in that sense, he's then codependent because he my situation was affecting him mentally. So mm-hmm. you're always going to kind of have those aspects. And also and a lot of people say when someone is very like loving and doing a lot for you and kind and romantic, they're like, oh, codependent. Or um, if the fact that, you know, we have yet to have a fight or a proper argument, and that could be also a sign of codependency, because what if one of us 
was too um, conflict avoidant or couldn't share how we felt because we were too afraid of the other person's opinions or whatever or disagreeing with someone. And I don't think it's like that, but you never know. So it comes across as this impossible maze to yeah. try and navigate nowadays where you you don't want to be codependent, but you need to be interdependent. By the yeah. way, that's the phrase people use, which seems to be the happy medium. Yeah, yeah. a healthy dependency yeah. on each other. And I understand the sentiment, which is that I shouldn't have to rely on another person to fulfill my emotional needs. If I'm feeling upset, uh, upset, stressed, mm -hmm. jealous, anything like that, it's my personal responsibility to uh, ensure that the reaction from those emotions uh, doesn't adversely affect yeah. people around me, especially the person that I'm in a partnership with. However, you're absolutely kidding yourself and you're just, you're avoiding your own human nature if you don't think uh something like love would lead to a certain level of codependency yeah and emotional reliance yeah now there's definitely an unhealthy extreme yes and that's different from person to person some people value their autonomy and their independence mm -hmm. i just wonder with a lot of these buzzwords that are going around the internet right now um are we instilling too much fear into people yeah, and younger or, people to, you know, if if, mm -hmm. if someone does show them love and maybe is upset at something they said or did, then immediately they're going to assume malicious intent. Oh, this person Psychoanalyzing is en enmeshed. It. This person is trying to control me. This, this person, person has an anxious attachment. Like, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. When realistically they may. Yeah. But. And how high can we set those standards exactly. before we just deny every single person for a reason? Because no one's going to tick every single box. Absolutely. So, it's just part of the human yeah. condition, I think. It's so tricky. And it is it is kind of this thing that in one part, I think it's been amazing to see how many people are becoming so self-aware and understanding these things about That's themselves. True. But then I guess the issue with that is now they think they understand everyone else and they analyze their relationships and this, they analyze analyzing too deeply um and i guess i'd fallen into that trap as well when i was like you know 20 and studying counseling and behavioral science where i was like i know everything about everyone it's wild and it was super exciting or whatever but it took me you know that was like three months of my life before i was like this is not helpful to anyone mm. to for me to make judgments on someone because i've learned something and then have come to a conclusion about that person um so it is I guess the extremes though is that codependent people, so you're likely to become, a codependence isn't a state in a relationship, it's a kind of a state of being. So you can be a codependent mm. person your entire life or you can be one maybe just in a relationship, but you're likely to become a codependent person if you've been brought up in a household where someone's like moods or are a turbulent or you never know where, where they're going to come home really angry or really happy and I guess your well-being or your autonomy or your safety or even just your happiness is going to depend on if your mum or your dad comes home super mm. shitty or if they come home happy so then you kind of internalize your love as I need to make sure that this person is settled so then I can be settled. Hmm. Um, and no one's parents came home happy every single day. I yeah. mean, everyone's parents are human as well. Literally. There's going to be days where they're angry and they're upset and they're yeah. going to take it out on you and sometimes unfairly. Yeah. And I just think we're getting to a point where we're just pathologizing 
everything. Human emotion. Yeah. It used to be the codependency was the big issue, which I agree with, when it was a codependent person who was essentially, to put it bluntly, a doormat to someone who was narcissistic. And that is a very common relationship dynamic. And I mean like true narcissism, not like art youthful lingo of narcissism so basically they actually end up in a cycle where they really feed Mm. one another because the narcissist um will say you haven't done this like you haven't cleaned the place it's gross like yada 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 like whatever Mm. and then the codependent person does all these things for them and the narcissist feels better because they're like, here I am having everything for served for me. Everything I want is done. I'm in the higher of the power dynamic. Uh, this relationship is serving me. This person is serving me and I know that I can influence them if I want to. And the codependent person is being fulfilled in the sense that they're like, I'm fixing this person. I am helping him come home and I'm helping him relax and I've cleaned the place so that he can settle down. Like I'm his rock. So Mm. they've both kind of got these almost delusions about what's happening in the relationship where they're feeling both fulfilled, but at the same time, it's very unhealthy dynamic. And the issue with something like narcissism is that there's an entirely, uh, antithetical conception of narcissism that we don't talk about as much, which is the perpetual victim narcissist, which is someone who feels like everything is being done to them Mm -hmm. and the world is constantly against them. And this is the sort of person who could be attracted to using a lot of these buzzwords and thinking, oh, someone's showing emotion, which is making me uncomfortable. They're a narcissist. They're trying to control me. Yeah, And no, that person's actually the narcissist in that situation or exhibiting some form of narcissistic qualities. And I still, I can't believe this is the book I got it from, but the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Um, he articulated it so well that the, the way we often think about narcissism is just your classic, arrogant, cocky, someone who wants to control mm. everyone, who thinks they're the best, who has grand ideas, delusional ideas about their self-worth yeah. and how capable they really are. But there's a completely other mm. side of narcissism on the different end of the spectrum, which is someone who feels so low about themselves yes. that they feel like everyone, you know, they deserve everything yeah. and everyone should cater to their They're like, I'm a good person. Why that did this one. happen to me? What's his name, the author again? Mark Manson. Yeah, he's a, he's um, he did an audio book and it's, it's called like How to Love or How Not to Love. It's on Audible and he does heaps into this narcissistic and codependent relationship dynamics. So mm. it is very interesting and that's a good point because it's almost like For the codependents as well, the same people that are pointing to us and saying or, you know, being like, you're codependent or that's a codependent relationship and he's a narcissist, like blah, blah, blah. But a a narcissistic person coming to someone with healthy boundaries and I guess interdependency or whatever, that shit's not going to fly. Like if you're like kind of trying to pull this narcissistic shit on a normal person you know, I shouldn't say normal. I should just say a securely attached person. Mm-hmm. No one's going to really put up with that. But so if you're someone that's like, I've dated a narcissist, then perhaps you are also a codependent because if you didn't have, you know, codependency, you wouldn't allow someone to say, I need you to do this right now for me or the world is so shit, fix it for me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so it is kind of one of those things to be self-aware of. 
if you have dated someone that you truly believe is narcissistic, then you need to look into, Absolutely. are you codependent? And what you said uh, just a few sentences ago was perfect. That sort of mentality where I'm so kind and I'm, I'm so nice. If only everyone else was yeah. a lot more like me. If only the world was the way I am. Yeah. That comes across. It's very endearing sometimes because it shows, oh, this is just a kind person who thinks there should be more kindness exhibited mm -hmm. throughout the world. It is a form of narcissism because what you're inherently saying is that if everyone else was like me, the world would yeah. be a better place. I mean, come on. That's a, that's a pretty egotistical statement to make. Yeah. Um, and again, in articulating that form of narcissism, you can also take the uh, the ability to see that to the nth degree where you're then criticizing anyone who uh, – expresses any form of um, wish for the world to be mm. kinder and be more compassionate. It doesn't mean everyone who says that is a narcissist, right? But yeah. there is this other spectrum of um, the other end of the spectrum of narcissism that I think we need to be more Like uh, the incel community are really kind of fall into that category a lot, I think. Yeah, they've definitely got elements yeah. of that. Yeah. But even like I was just saying, people who use these buzzwords continuously and are always saying, you know, this person I dated turned out to be a narcissist. This person mm. I dated was uh, controlling. This person, it's it's always people are doing thing, bad things to them. Yeah. Now, that could be very true. I don't want to deny anyone's mm. experience of suffering. But at the same time, it, it seems as though these people lack self-reflection to a certain degree. Oh, well, what often happens with this kind of person is that when they're in a healthy relationship, they say, he's just, he's too nice. Like, it kind of makes me, mm, I don't like it. He's just too nice. Ugh, it's kind of gross. So it gives me the ick. Mm. And the reason why these people usually like this is because they've learned love, like, I guess their sense of home and love initially would have come from someone who was, you know, an absent father or an absent parent or in and out of their lives or not treating them amazingly. It may not have mm -hmm. been abuse or it may have been, but someone that wasn't consistent in their in their love. And so they they then go saying, well, I'm sick of dating these assholes. I'm going to date a good guy. And then they date him a good, uh, a good guy. And they're like, oh, he's too nice. Or it's kind of like the passion's not there. It's not, it's not fun. Like it's kind of boring or I just don't feel it as much. And then they meet someone who has these same tendencies over and over and over again. They repeat the same relationship because it is, it is reminding them of their initial mm. sense of love and home. Um, so it is a really hard cycle to break because we've talked about this in other podcasts but when you go from like an abusive or even just a turbulent or toxic relationship to a stable one it feels the stable one feels nothing in comparison mm, because the amount feel. of hormones like changes that happens in a in an unhealthy relationship is addictive we can get addicted to definitely unhealthy hormones you almost have to go against your gut feeling in yeah. many instances because you you have to not trust your heart because exactly. your heart is saying oh, i'm in love with this person who's exciting and exhibits these yeah. qualities of uh unpredictability and yeah and passion but passion to a uh unhealthy degree mm. you may be more drawn to that but you you have to be aware that 
that attraction could just be a sign of, well, unresolved childhood trauma, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so what does healthy dependency look like then? In a, in a modern context, you know, people in their, from their mid-20s to mid-30s, something like that, either they're just in a uh, young marriage or they've been dating for a couple of months, maybe they have a few young children. What does mm-hmm. healthy dependency look like? It, it means you're comfortable with asserting your own boundaries and it's not something that you're feel, fearful of and it's also not something that you can, you know, so willy-nilly put it in 10 times a day being like, no, you're not doing this. This is a boundary. So it is that kind of balance where you're like, out of respect of our relationship, I really can't go through this or I can't do this or whatever. So being able to say no and put boundaries in place in a way that's not going to Sometimes you get anxiety, that's normal. But if it's something that is really crippling to you, that's that's an issue. And also having your sense of worth and love coming from yourself rather than your partner. So I guess it would be, I know that, you know, what my partner thinks of me and means a lot to me. And I am one of those people that I need or really want people to like me, but I wouldn't consider myself to be a codependent person because at the end of the day, if they don't like me, it's not something that keeps me awake at night and not not something that makes me think I'm a shitty person. Hmm. I'll be like, oh, we just don't gel. Like that's kind of it. So being getting your sense of self-worth comes internally rather than externally Mm -hmm. is really important. I definitely agree with that, but it it does also come coming back to what I was saying at the start of this podcast. I think it's foolish to think your entire self worth uh, can just be separate. totally separate yeah. to what your partner thinks of you. I mean, I just let's say hypothetically, you're in a five year marriage, and one day it's it's going really well, and mm-hmm. one day your partner says, "No, nah, I've had enough. I'm gone. You're an asshole. I'm out." What, yeah. You're just gonna say, "Oh, I still have self worth, and I'm exactly. still a good person." Look, it's pretty human, I think, in that situation mm-hmm. to feel very hard done by to think fuck this person for just walking out on me. How dare they treat me like that? Yeah. Um, so I think we should strive for something like that where your mm-hmm. self-worth is purely internal and mm-hmm. it shouldn't rely on other people, including a romantic partner. But I also think it's virtually impossible to entirely avoid. Yeah, I, I was listening to a relationship counsellor say um, a, being interdependent, so the healthy dependence level you should be able to leave a relationship feeling whole. And I disagree with that because heartbreak, you don't feel whole. You, you feel you grieve, you feel angry, you're, you're devastated. You don't feel whole. You feel like you've lost a really important person in your life because essentially it's no different to a friend of yours dying or moving away or something when you grieve the loss of that person. It's totally the same. But then again, I think that I think self-worth is a little bit, different because it would be like if if we were in a relationship and I had told you like ugh like you're trash or something uh-huh. you shouldn't then believe he said this I am therefore I am trash like you should a healthy dependent interdependent relationship would be like this is not healthy mm-hmm. I should not ha- like be told I am trash I know I am not trash that kind kind of thing but obviously what your person partner thinks of you and says about you to some degree you are going to believe and that that does often sense 
you know, your sense of identity. And that's kind of human nature. Like if someone says to you, you might have a friend come to you and be like, like I might come to you and be like, oh, I love how like uh, intelligent you are and chatty you are, whatever. And then we have all these deep conversations all the time. And then your other mate comes to you and be like, oh, like Neil, you're the funniest bloke I've ever met. And then you to him, you're kind of always joking and bantering or whatever. Like it's almost like we do... Uh, I guess, change our personalities or emphasize certain aspects of our personalities based on what other people tell us mm. about ourselves. Uh, yeah, we're social beings yeah. at the end of the day. The the problem that may arise with the mentality that you were talking about there where if someone, look, if you said you're trash, that's a very, yeah. that seems like a very inhuman and uh, crass yeah. <laughs> way of expressing uh, potential um dislike for something i've done but if i'm too cognizant of not worrying about what my partner thinks of me mm. and relying purely internally for my self-worth i may not be willing to take on board legitimate criticism yeah so if you say you do lie about certain things or what's a not so extreme example uh sometimes you're just really lazy neil mm. Well, if I'm taking on the uh, mentality of, no, I'm, you know, my self-worth is purely internal and I'm not listening to what this person is, is saying, even though they are my primary romantic partner, mm. I'm not lazy. I know I'm not lazy. They're trying to control me by calling me lazy and deplete my self-worth. Well, no, I could actually be lazy. Yeah, you do need to listen exactly. to criticism here. So how do you toe that line by uh, taking on board legitimate criticism versus not relying on your partner's opinion of you um, for your self-worth? Well, I guess it would be your partner's opinion of you cannot become your sense of identity. So you maybe you're lazy and you haven't, whatever, cleaned the place in two weeks. But does that mean that inherently as a person you are just lazy? No, because a lot of people, I guess, will take that on. And sometimes you'll see people, and I've certainly had a tendency to date codependent people, um, and then they'll be like, I'm a piece of shit. Like, I can't believe I let you down like this. Like, that is codependency because I said one thing. I didn't say, you're lazy or whatever. It would be something very minor like, oh, it's kind of like, you know, upset me that you were going to, like pick me up and you forgot and then I was waiting here for an hour like it's fine I got a bus but like I wish you just answered your phone or something and then this kind of like self-hate punishment or whatever mm. is first of all you know you, then you can psychoanalyze that situation in a million things you could be like okay well this person's anxious attached well this person's manipulative because he used his own self-pity to get you to pity him whatever and then you could say well this person's codependent because they couldn't function when you were upset with them mm. blah, blah 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 there's a million things but like for example um my boyfriend currently he has very mild and kind of infrequent tendencies of codependency that I see sometimes like last night I was in a lot of pain and I barely like bless him I barely said two words to him because I couldn't like function honestly and he's when he's in pain he likes to be supported and he likes you know a lot of attention tease hugs whatever and when I'm in pain I'm like please don't look at me don't talk to me like I want to just isolate myself kind mm -hmm. of thing um, and 
last night I was in so much pain and really struggling and then he asked me like he's like are you okay and I was like oh so sore like it's the worst it's been in a really long time um and he's like are you upset with me and I was like no no it's nothing to do with you it's just the pain but then throughout the night he probably asked me like four times after that like are you are you sure you're not angry at me like have I done something like and I, I was being very like kind and gentle and reassuring him but I had to reassure him so many times whereas maybe if the roles were reversed and if to be honest if he were a like kind of isolating out of the blue which isn't something typical in character I'd be like oh are you upset like why have you gone quiet like things okay and then he'd be like no nah, no nah, it's okay I've just hurt myself whatever I'm just like need a bit of space uh, I'm sorry it's not you I would only need to hear that once and be mm. like cool let me know if you need anything what can I do but he needed to be reassured a few times because he he would then get anxious mm-hmm. so so there's a there's a balance there, right? Yeah. Because that's a very noble trait. Yeah. To want to ensure that you know your primary partner isn't actually mad at you. Are you, you know, are you sure if there's something yeah that you do want to say to me, please just tell me things like that. But yeah, it can occur to an excessive degree. Exactly. Which could be yeah. emblematic of some form of internal. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If we call them yeah. flaws, but things that could be worked on. Yeah. And then if I had, you know, said I was pissed off with him or something or whatever, I know that he he would not have been able to function until I had reassured him or until he it was resolved or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas if he had ever said to me, like, you know, like, you know, I'm pissed off that you said this i just need like 20 minutes space i'll be like okay yeah fair but mm. he will his adrian's anxiety will increase continuously until it's resolved because he cares so much about keeping you know the relationship really like safe happy stable and we've never had an argument and maybe it's because he is he has that personality type where he's like let's resolve this straight away like let's reassure each other with lots of love and gentleness kind of thing so mm-hmm. but it's not it's not unhealthy uh because i guess that would be the only sense of this codependency and like i said i think it's really normal for relationships to have aspects of it and there's going to be times where i need to be like maybe too independent like when especially if i'm sick in my stomach like nauseous i'm so like don't even text me like I hate being near people when I'm sick and maybe that's a little bit too independent where I could just be like oh could you get me a glass of water thank you I really appreciate that or thanks for checking in but instead I'm like Mm. freak out about people being near me and I need to be alone so you know it just happens we kind of fall into one of those categories here and there but as long as majority of it is spent in the middle that's that's the best place to be Mm. and it would be different for each person as well some people would want that sort of uh a person like adrian yeah someone who's very reassuring and yeah will do everything they possibly can to ensure that they're feeling comfortable whereas some people would think that's stifling yes exactly yeah restrictive so it depends on personal preferences literally as well yeah um it's interesting, isn't it? It How, is. To some people that would be so like, this is toxic, yeah. like, not okay. And to people like me, like 
this is a very common, I guess, relationship dynamic that I have. And I love that. I think it's so beautiful. I think he's so whatever, kind and sweet. But then my uh, best mate who isn't a mushy person is like, no, no way. (laughs) To some people that would be very toxic. uh, And on social media, from what I'm seeing, I'm guessing that in a lot of these spaces, they would call behavior like that potentially toxic or signs that could relate to some form of uh, issues in the long term. But for other people, they'd think that's really romantic. Exactly. That's really sweet that he's willing to go above and beyond to care for you and ensure that there's absolutely no issues within the relationship. So it's what we project onto those sorts of behaviors. Mm. Because for I can definitely speak for uh, men here, a lot of us, our uh, it is hard to detach from our self-worth coming from how well our partner thinks of us yeah. and how good a boyfriend we are. Are we providing, uh, you know, are we giving them care, comfort? Are we pleasing them mm. emotionally and mm. physically? So if we're calling that toxic, yeah, you know, it's just such a... <laughs> Especially when you Maze consider like also the cliche of when you ask a woman once, are you okay? She's always going to say, I'm fine. And yes, that's why exactly. remember we did this whole podcast about ask twice, <laughs> just ask twice and then leave it. But then my my same friend who is um, the type of person that the one I was just talking about that hates mushy, mushy shit and would look at our relationship being like, oh my God, you guys are enmeshed. You're so like lovey-dovey and whatever. At the same time, she falls way too much into the um, independent category, whereas when she's, you know, it's that time of month and she's really cramping and she's in so much pain, she gets, you know, bad uh, PMS or whatever. Mm. And she doesn't tell her boyfriend, oh, I've got my period, like I need to take it easy and take a hot bath or whatever. She just doesn't tell him. She just kind of suffers through the pain on her own because that's just how she is. Whereas I'm like, tell him, like, let him support you and let him cook you a dinner or whatever. And she's like, no, no, don't tell him not because she doesn't want to burden him. Burden him. She just doesn't um, like sharing those things, I guess. And then the other day she... Um, sure, it's she, good to value your independence Yeah, now and again. But, but she, to an excessive degree it can... Yeah, because what ended up happening was separate to her, you know, period she got upset about something that he hadn't picked up on. Um, and basically something made that she had seen had made her upset. And she then got a little bit upset with him being like, why couldn't he observe that I'm, you know, really upset and bothered by something and try to support me through it. But then I was trying to kind of say, but in every other time when you're upset, you tell him, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. So this is kind of like when, how's he going to know when you need support and when you don't want it, when it's kind of this inconsistent or whatever. So just makes me. Yeah. Stressed. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. It makes you overthink everything because you wonder, all right, if, if my girlfriend is uh, stressed or uh, maybe in pain or there could be an issue, do I press further? Yeah. Do I leave it? If I leave it, is she going to get mad at me because I didn't yeah. try and help her? But then if I try and help it too much, is that controlling and toxic? It's just yeah, it's um, a bit of a minefield to navigate. Exactly. I'll never forget when you were dating someone and 
she was away for a while and you sent her like a couple of messages being like, hope you're well, I miss you or something. And she was like, whoa, man, too much, even though you'd been dating oh. for like six months. <laughs> it wasn't that. I was saying... I was, uh, hey, beautiful, hey, gorgeous, yeah. things like that. And she said, that's possessive. And she said it feels, crazy to be fair, to she did call me and tell me and sort of say, oh, it just feels kind of possessive. And I thought, okay, I just don't know what to, <laughs> do I not call you beautiful then? I don't know yeah. what to do. Like to me, she's like, she's just like my best mate. But to me, I'd be yeah, like, if you're not saying like that, that three days in, red flag. No, just kidding. But um, that's exaggerated. Don't worry. But. At the same point, you know, that long into a relationship, I would be kind of hoping for that or really deeply appreciating it. So it's so funny what is some Personal people tastes. find. Yeah. yeah. Well, what does that sort of person like your friend and, and I think like my ex-girlfriend as well, yeah. what do they want? What's their ideal partner? Because if they value their autonomy and they don't want to ever feel restricted or controlled or feel like, they're responsible for someone else's feelings. I was actually talking to a, a female friend of mine the other day and she was saying she wants someone consistent and wants to basically see someone exclusively, but she doesn't want to be responsible for their feelings. And I thought, well, you know, you're kidding yourself. Yeah, it's kind of a package deal. You've got to, yeah, yeah. You've got to choose one or the other that yeah. has to be non-exclusive and casual or to some degree. Now, to what degree? That's where it becomes either mm. toxic or non-toxic. Uh are you then responsible for their feelings insofar as if you suddenly ghost them for a week mm. and they're upset, you can't say, oh, why are you getting upset? No, that was your responsibility if you were dating that person to yeah. at least tell them, hey, I need to detach for a week or something like that. That's mm. what I mean when I say responsible for feelings. I don't mean, oh, you've got some past trauma and it's my job to deal with that. No, yeah. not at all. Mm. But in the context of a relationship, um, you need to ensure that that if that person has expressed healthy boundaries, mm. you don't cross those boundaries or you, you do everything you can to not cross those boundaries. If you disagree with some of those boundaries, have a adult conversation about that. Mm. Uh, express your boundaries as well. But at the same time, you're going to um, be required to uh, ensure that they don't feel too insecure and yeah. that they don't get irrationally jealous um, and if they exhibit those feelings, it's not automatically they're toxic. Yeah. And this is not, I'm not trying to say this is a, this is both a male and a, and a, and a female thing. And I've been guilty of things like this in my previous relationships as well, where, um, some, uh, initial criticism, which I now look at and I think, yeah, it was kind of valid. I think, oh, you're so stifling, you know, Aww. you're just trying to control me and all this sort of <laughs> thing. Um, I think that's maybe emblematic of our culture right now that it, it just, it values autonomy and self-reliance so much mm. which is ironic because a lot of these people were probably quite left on the political spectrum but self-reliance and autonomy is actually quite a right-wing yeah. ideal yeah um and being independent being strong all these things it's something i value mm. and you know most of my life is like that but uh i also understand that there's something very beautiful and just intrinsically human about being to some degree reliant mm. on a romantic yeah. partner but then also you have that responsibility to to care for them especially in their times of need and yeah um yeah i just i guess to conclude this i want to talk about boundaries that's such a oh, that's yeah. such a uh popular word right now love it i feel like it's quite new was 
when I was 18, 19, 20, I, I don't remember people talking about, you know, these are my boundaries. Yeah. What are healthy boundaries? Is, is Have you had that same experience? Is yeah. It- even in my, um, in studying, when I started studying in, at 18, you know, for the first like five years of studying, so I've probably spent eight years studying total or seven or eight and for the first five it was never brought up and then all of a sudden it was like boundaries like it's kind of like people have come Mm. to this is the solution for all these um issues in your relationship or things that keep coming up it's boundaries 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 so um such a buzzword yes it's the new toxic yes i just because i shared that meme with you a few weeks ago where this lady had a chart saying this is controlling this is healthy boundaries and I thought, well, look, I can see the difference where, for example, if I if we were in a relationship and I said, you can't fuck other guys, that's yeah. controlling. Whereas if I say, a boundary of mine is if you sleep with other men. Yeah. And I thought, look, I can understand in the first instance, I'm basically putting imposing a demand onto you. Whereas on the other one, I'm saying, this is my mm. restriction and you can choose yeah. whether to conform to it. But it, I also thought... Are we looking too much into the intent of each of those statements when realistically they do sort of have the same effect and they mean the same sort of thing? Because if I knew someone loved me and I said, hey, a boundary of mine is if you do X, Y, Z, well, I'm implicitly saying don't do X, Y, and Z or you'll hurt me. Yeah. It's just not the uh, explicit statement. Mm. So I just sort of, I wondered when I saw that chart, I thought, What's the difference? Uh, I, well, I can see, like I said, mm-hmm. that one of them is a direct, explicit, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say it's a demand. It depends on how it's said and things like Request. that. You know, if I say, <laughs> don't you dare fuck another guy, yeah. like, that comes across as a bit tyrannical. Yeah. But if I say, hey, we're in an exclusive relationship, don't sleep with other men. Yeah. That seems pretty innocent to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't see how that's negative in any way. I I just wonder if we're being a bit too picky and pedantic about the way things are expressed as opposed to what the effect actually is. Yeah, see, that's interesting because I'm all for the way you express is everything. So I think that you can avoid any type of conflict, well, most conflicts, by the way that we express the issue, the concern or whatever. Um, So, for example, like... A while ago, I used to have a huge issue with dating smokers because I had an auntie who died from lung cancer and I it was a big, like, no-no for me. But I wouldn't say, you can't smoke. Like, I would say at the beginning of a relationship, hey, like, if you're a smoker, like, I'm going to be up front with you. Like, I really struggle with it and I, I, I will probably get pissed off. Like, sometimes I can't help that I get angry when I see boyfriends smoke. Like I really prefer if you don't kind Mm -hmm. of thing. This is where I'm at. And I think the reason is, is because me saying don't smoke, that's my own personal boundary, I guess, that doesn't apply to everyone. So even like it's, okay, we're in a relationship, don't fuck other guys. I could be like, well, hang on. Like I'm non-monogamous. Like this is, that doesn't fit with me. Um, No. Sure, I, I I do agree the way we mm. express things can actually make a difference. But I just suppose in that instance, I personally wouldn't look too far into uh, whether it's expressed in a way such as, you know, a boundary of mine is you 
mm. being intimate with another man versus um, I don't want you to be intimate yeah. with another man. I just think you're you're attributing malicious intent when I think they're both essentially saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but I understand there's a lot of nuance to yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, like one is saying you can't do this and one is saying do what you want but know that this is how I'm going to respond and that that's going to be a deal breaker for me. Yeah. Which I guess and some people will interpret that mm. with being like, well, then I can't do it, can I? <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. See? So I just I feel like the whether it's explicitly said or implicitly yeah. said, it's the same thing. Mm. But I, I can also understand how they differ. It's yeah. just something I've been thinking about lately where I wonder – if we're being too picky about things like that. But I can also see how it would have an effect. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of a situation mm. where a, I guess a boyfriend has ever put a boundary in on me. No one's ever said, you can't do this. No one's literally ever told me anything like that mm-hmm. in my millions of boyfriends I've dated. But at the same time, I, I don't know, I can't remember if anyone has ever said... um like this makes me uncomfortable or this would be a deal breaker or I can't like cope with this. And and if you have an excessive amount of boundaries but you express them in a healthy way, that still could be much more controlling than someone who oh, just says, yeah. here's this one thing, don't do it. Yeah. Versus a boundary of mine is if you look at another guy when we're together, it just makes me uncomfortable. A boundary of mine is if you uh, message other guys when, when, when you're at work. A boundary yeah. of mine is if you do this. Yeah. Versus, hey, don't fuck other guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of it almost comes down to compatibility. I was watching this video on TikTok and it was like this 17-year-old couple and they had done this, um, raise your hand to like this side, like left hand is you think this is cheating and right hand is this is not cheating. And then it would say like messaging a coworker, um, sleeping in a bed with someone but not being intimate that's of the opposite sex and um, then obvious things like kissing someone or having sex with someone or holding hands with someone, telling someone they're beautiful and you find them attractive, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, what was interesting is they had completely different, almost opposite views. She thought every single one of those things was cheating. He thought literally nothing was cheating except for paying for sex, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is funny. And then I thought... Let's see if she does it and see yeah, how it feels. <laughs> that's what people were saying in the comments. He, he doesn't think it's cheating until you do it. But I instantly sided with her because mm. I was like, of course that's cheating. Like you can't sleep in sleep in a bed with another like female friend of yours. That's fucking bullshit. Like kind of thing. This is me being oh, non therapeutic no, and just instant reacting. The story actually, but yeah, go <laughs> um, on. And then so I was kind of being like, oh, like I side with her a lot. That's fair or whatever. But then I thought, you know, even some of my friends would be like who were very, very, I guess laid back in relationships like one of um a girl i know she's been in with her boyfriend for like five years and she'll let him do anything and she doesn't care because she just has that she implicitly trusts him and she's not concerned if he even if he kissed another girl 
it wouldn't bother her that much as not as as long as he's not like in love. So if her, if my Damn, friend, guy. yeah, if my friend and this seventeen-year-old, let's say, pretend they were for this argument that they were in the same age bracket, were in this car together doing it, they'd have the same answers for everything. They'd probably be compatible. Yeah. Whereas the other girl in the video and me, if we were in a relationship. We'd have the same answers and we'd be compatible. So a lot of it isn't necessarily one person's right, one person's wrong. It can come down to compatibility. And sometimes you so often see people clashing, being like, obviously, you Mm. cannot like other girls' photos. Like, are you dumb? Like, that's disgusting. Like, you're fantasizing about other girls. And then another person would be like, I don't care if my boyfriend likes another girl's photos. Like, I have enough confidence to know I'm the, like, he's the one coming home to me every night. Like, those kind of things. So, can we just dictate what our partner does or doesn't do? Or should we initially try to find somewhere where most of those things are already aligned? It makes sense that you'd want to try. It it just seems easier if you find someone where a lot of those things are aligned. Yeah. Uh, But... No two people are going to have the exact same ideas of what is appropriate and what is not. And also, it's all contextual uh, on a given night. For example, if you were um, at an event together, uh, does that change Yeah. what they're allowed to do? If their ex is there at the event, Yeah. you know, what are they allowed to do there in that situation? Yeah. Uh, what is a boundary? And it, it, it mm, you have to be... Yeah, you can't be too incompatible on what you think is appropriate and inappropriate because I think that's just a recipe for disaster. But at the same time, no two people are exactly the same and there probably will be uh, things that arise where (laughs) someone will say, well, I thought that was why you attack. And then they feel unfairly, they feel hard done by because they feel like the other person is attacking them. Yeah. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't know you thought this was inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing to to Jordan, but... uh, yeah. It's very subjective. Have those conversations. What was your story? Oh, this was just the <laughs> the, the, the girlfriend I talk about a lot on this. Um, there was some situation where we had just started dating and I only found this out months into the relationship where she was, I can't remember, some guy she went to high school with that they were close friends, but then everyone thought they liked each other and... They had sort of even talked about hooking up or so. I can't remember exactly, but I know there was something a bit eyebrow raising about it. He had a girlfriend, but then after a party, he uh, stayed in in her bed. It was a pretty small bed. They just slept together. No, uh, they didn't have sex, but slept in the same bed together. And I thought, oh, this is a bit, this is a bit intense. And then he also had to rush out in the morning and make sure Mm. no one saw it. And I thought, oh, look, come on. This is a bit. Yeah. This is a bit intense, but then she said, well, why are you making such a fuss about it? I didn't do anything wrong. Oh. It's just your classic How relationship argument about, yeah. well, I could then construe that as, well, you're gaslighting me because yeah. you're saying, you know, I'm making a fuss about nothing. And uh, all these words are so, it's just so dependent on the That's, person's mm. subjective individual experience and perception. How uh, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I also think it depends massively on your history with that person, first of all. Like if I had ever known that my boyfriend was staying over with someone that he may have at one point been kind of like sexually attracted to and they were exploring if they should do this, no. 
No fucking no, way. Over my dead that's body. What I thought, right? Um, but then if it was someone that he doesn't really have this kind of mate, but if it was someone that was, you know, like one of the boys, I'm always in the group and she's very chill, I've met her or whatever, and there's like literally nothing there, I probably wouldn't freak the hell out um if I hadn't zero percent jealousy sure. already. I didn't um, freak out, but it was but I also didn't I wasn't casual about it either, I guess. Yeah, oh, was it was when ago. you were in the relationship with her. Yeah. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. While we, oh. like right at the start, we had just started dating. Oh. And then I found out months later that she had done it. And I thought, well, what, that's wow. pretty inappropriate. Yeah. No, and one of the ones know. also really early on, this was ridiculous. Uh, she had hooked up with her. We had, we had first had a fling, I guess. And then um, we stayed in contact for a few months. But she thought I wasn't interested and I, I was, I guess I was kind of coy in that situation. And then she um, slept with these uh, two guys and which was fine. We were single at the time. Um, and when I say I was being coy, I, I sort of did think we, we were still going to keep in touch. And then we were going to see each other soon. So when I found out about that, I was like, I had purposely not. Mm-hmm. Tried to get with anyone, so it was a bit, ooh, yeah. that stings a little bit, but I wasn't getting mad. But what I did get mad at was after we had decided we are exclusive and we are dating, she posted a photo on Instagram. One of those guys commented with all these like love heart emojis or whatever, and she's like, oh, come back, come back to Melbourne, winky face. Well, <laughs> no, thank and you. And I was like, you're, you're joking. You think wow. that's appropriate? Wow. And then again, she was like, why are you making a fuss about nothing? Damn, I was gaslit. <laughs> yeah oh my god i got so mad about that and then I would to be, be fair i then did i wasn't very mature about the way i approached it i sort of called her in the morning and i just was like what the like what the hell is this you told me you didn't have contact with this guy yeah. how do you think that's appropriate and she was like well yeah what's going on like, like <laughs> and then she got upset oh, i was such a messy relationship anyway i think that's a good uh um anecdote to end on let mm. us know what you think about codependency and interdependency have we gone too far uh, in valuing autonomy and uh, avoiding restrictive relationships to the point where we're losing out on the benefits of uh, a healthy, interdependent relationship? Are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Let us know what you think. Subscribe if you haven't already. Share the podcast if you liked it. She's very adventurous today, isn't <laughs> she? And we'll see you next time. He's talking about me, not the cat. <laughs> Bye.